Hi, and welcome to the 4th U Dimension podcast. My name is Ember Kelly, and I'm the Director of Religious Education at the 4th Universalist Society in the city of New York. In the month of May, we are thinking about cultural shifts. As we challenge these social justice issues, how do we begin to make cultural shifts? And how do we begin to make shifts inside of ourselves so that we don't repeat the same harmful patterns? Today on our podcast, we are gonna be joined by Dr. Sarah Coxon, who's coming to us all the way from Portugal. And so stay tuned and I look forward to getting to sit down with Dr. Sarah. So Sarah, it's really great to get to sit down with you today. Thank you so much for having me here, Amber. It's, it's such an honor. So for all of our listeners, we obviously have a little biography in the show notes, but would you like to introduce yourself for our listeners? So my name is Sarah and I'm an ex-archaeologist turned author, sacred activist and business mentor for predominantly women. And really my, my mission in the world currently is always evolving, but my mission is to really help as many people as I can to live their dharma and create individual social environmental justice and to live their magic, not their conditioning. And so really that's the work that I'm doing in the world at the moment. Yeah, so that's me in a nutshell. <laughs> yes, we were talking before we started recording, we were talking about the fact that you and I first started talking a year ago. Gosh, the, the, mm-hmm. the year seems to have flown by. What a year it's been. <laughs> <laughs> what a year, what a year. Um, and so uh, w- as I thought about this cultural change, how do we begin to uh, shift our mindsets? How do we begin to not repeat old unhealthy patterns on a on a cultural level? Uh, you were one of the first people that came to mind. Uh, I read your book earlier this year, and you know, it, I I couldn't help but think of you as somebody who is thinking about both this cultural shift uh, and you know doing better and personal improvement, but also doing it in a way that recognizes uh, the need for social justice as well. So, you know, it's great to have you on to to get to dive into this a little deeper. I'm really excited for this conversation. So what does it mean to you when I when I say like mindset shift? What what come what comes to mind? Mm, That's such a great question. I think that really a mindset shift is a shift in perspective in terms of who we are, in terms of what we're capable of. And really, this is like the the foundation for creating the changes that we wish to see in the world. And I think that a lot of personal development has really centered upon us as individuals. There's been the lens of individualism. It's like, okay, well, how can I change my circumstances? How can I change my life? And yes, that is so, so important. That is part of it. But what I believe now is starting to happen is we're starting to more and more of us are starting to shift paradigm and see things through the lens of collectivism, which is not just how can I create a mindset shift so that my life improves, but also the ramifications for that. How can I change not only my individual circumstances, but also change social circumstances and also be there for the environment as well? So the foundation of all of this is our mindset. When we're operating from healthier mindsets, healthiest perspectives, we're able to make much more healthy, informed choices that create a lot less damage to ourselves and to others. So that's the way that I see it. Definitely. I think that 
it may, it may not be the terminology used, but a lot of these workshops that think about like racial justice, that these are about helping people make this, this mindset shift, that they're yeah. uh, jumping from an old way of thinking that's been ingrained in them. And so that, that same pattern holds across different types of fields. Absolutely. And at the end of the day, it's, it's really about our belief systems. And so many of us, you know, we carry beliefs that we haven't even questioned. And some of these beliefs are helpful. They allow us to create, you know, a lot of good in the world, but some of them are not helpful. And so the key is really to start to question every single belief that we have about who we are, about what we're capable of, but also about the way that society operates, about the way that the world operates, about other people. And so really, when we want to create individual social and environmental change, the first port of call is to question every single assumption that we have. You, you named this uh, move to collectivism. Uh, mm -hmm. And I'm kind of curious, uh, you know, what, where you see this cultural shift kind of happening. Do you have like some examples that spring to mind? Yeah, so, I mean, I think particularly in the last year, actually, and I don't know whether it's just, you know, I've started seeing it more or whether there, well, I mean, obviously there's been so much going on in the past year. And people are starting to, uh, there just seems to be far more narratives around, uh, well, far more understanding of the social issues that are at play and just far more of a willingness to actually want to do something about it. And I haven't, maybe it's just my perspective, but I hadn't seen that. I think 2000, end of 2019, 2020 is where I see the real shifts. And even just some of the, the content that you now see online, it feels to me like people are recognizing the, the systemic issues for what they are in terms of, you know, toxic capitalism, racism. Um, and I think that's really the underpinnings of now what we're seeing in terms of the shift towards collectivism. I was going to say, not I, there, there are not too many folks who work in personal development that talk about toxic capitalism. So perhaps that was <laughs> one of the things that drew me to your work. <laughs> well, it doesn't, you know. it doesn't make me very popular, I have to be honest, because usually when I write about toxic capitalism and I write about systemic issues, you know, you can hear a pin drop. Um, it's not as compelling as the learn how to manifest millions. And I'm not saying that there is anything wrong with wanting to have access to resources. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. However, what I urge people to question is why? Why do you desire that? Because if it's, to, if it's for status and approval, then you're operating from toxic capitalism because there is some exploitation at play. You're exploiting yourself. This is why people hustle, hustle, hustle to create these grand goals. If there is a wholesome goal behind that, like, okay, I want access to these resources because actually this it's so I can improve my circumstances, but the circumstances of people around me so that I can give back then I'm wholeheartedly behind that. But it's, you know, what I, what I invite my community to do is always question their desires, not from a space of you're not allowed your desires. Desires are holy. These are nudges pointing us towards our dharma. 
but to ensure that we are choosing choosing to follow the desires that are really truly in alignment with who we are and the nature of how we are as, as human beings and that contribute to humanity, not rip humanity apart. I've, I've joked in a few different spaces that uh, raising consciousness is where my, my Marxist influenced academic and my, my hippie side kind of come together. <laughs> that it's important for us to begin to, you know, making this, making this shift in, in how we think and how we act. And so, you know, it's not wanting to deprive everyone of good things. It's that we want everyone to be able to have access to those, those good things. And so we have to do that together. Absolutely. That's absolutely it. And, you know, individual success is not success if it is at the expense of exploiting others or if it's just, you know, we're using it to mindlessly consume. That's not success because it's not success for the planet. And so what I'm urging people to do is just to Again, it's like question the assumptions that you have that more is better, that more money is better, that more this is better, that I need to achieve these goals in order to be someone. And I think that particularly in the personal development space, it's, it's fascinating because most of us are drawn to it because we recognize that there are systems systemic failings we may not understand that but perhaps we've been you know operating from scarcity or we grew up in poverty or you know we want or we were in jobs that just sucked our soul dry these are systemic failings so we understand that on a on a level and so we come to personal development because we want freedom but what tends to happen is we just recreate this system for ourselves but we in the name of personal development oh, I want, you know, this six-figure business or I want, you know, this big mansion. Why? Why? Because society has told you that you are worth what you achieve and what you have. And that's the very narrative that is causing so much disruption and causing so much polarity between rich and poor. So I'm just urging everyone to just question. Question till your brain hurts. You know, it's uncomfortable. It's really uncomfortable. It's a lot easier to just go, actually, I'm just going to go for the shiny thing. But ultimately, if we all go for the shiny thing without questioning why we want the shiny thing, you know, we create even more division and even more destruction. Oh, and if we all go for the shiny thing and don't actually analyze our own uh, selves <laughs> and our own society, then we're going to get to the shiny thing and still feel just as empty as what what drove us to want the shiny thing in the first place. That's exactly it. But, you know, this, this kind of narrative does not make me very popular, nor, it, you know, it's not sexy. It's not going to get me like, you know, a million gazillion followers, but that's also not my dharma. When I, you know, I can't help but think about how so many of the supposed solo success stories of, you know, these young people who built uh, Microsoft uh, out of a garage, but, you know, it's Ooh. not talked about that their, <laughs> that their families, you know, had pretty good connections, lots of money, they were able to afford to go to college. No, nobody is ever just an individual success. They're, you know, it's a product of their society allowing them to be able to succeed. Oh my gosh, that's so, so true. And I think that, um, you know, the, the acknowledgement of privilege is key and it's something that's been, you know, really, really spoken about in the past couple of years, rightly so. 
is to understand that privilege in itself is multifaceted. It's not just down to race or, you know, we can't just create these um, categories on your privilege, you're not privileged. Like it's so multifaceted and multidimensional, but there does need to be an, um, an understanding that, you know, these success stories of like, anyone can do it. Yes, and a lot of these people had a helping hand through their privilege. And so what works for one person is not necessarily the step-by-step -step approach that is gonna work for another. So we have to stop idolizing these people that just share this like seven step system, like the seven highly effective habits of successful whatever. I mean, I, I, it's, just, it's just ludicrous because what it doesn't take into account are people's past personal history, their gender, their trauma, what they've experienced, their race, their socioeconomic background. It doesn't take into account any of that. And so, yeah, it's, it's really important that we, it's really important that we, that we also question who we put on those pedestals. Why on earth do we put people like Bill Gates and Steve Jobs on pedestals. Why? I don't get it, personally. You know, um, they have money. <laughs> um, uh, well, they're, 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 they can they can help pay to put themselves on the pedestals at this point as well. Mm -hmm. I couldn't help but laugh when you mentioned the the seven habits because when I worked at this uh, school and company in Vietnam, they had their CEO had read the book and so decided to purchase a whole like curriculum about the seven habits that would then be taught to like Vietnamese elementary school kids who are just starting to learn English. And I'm like, this, A, these are not <laughs> transferable concepts and B, it's really hard to, to convey things that take a fairly good grasp of understanding of English to kids who are just starting to learn. It was, it was an adventure. Um, so I, I had to have an extra laugh when you specifically <laughs> named the, the seven <laughs> habits. That's not taking into account their, their, their background, their culture. It doesn't take into account anything. It's this Western idea of like how everyone should behave. And that's just neocolonialism. Mm, yes, important to name, name that as well. Uh, yeah. so, so both on like a personal level and a societal level, like it, it's good for us to be, uh, like you said, questioning everything and examining like our past ways uh, of living, like the way that we've always done things. What are some like tools that you think are important for both on a personal level and societal level, making that that examination and helping to make that shift? Mm, that's such a good question. You know, the first thing that actually springs to mind is the art of quiet contemplation, the art of actually shutting off the noise. Like there's a reason that I don't follow anyone on Instagram. And there's a reason why I don't have Instagram on my phone. I only download it to post things. Um, I don't have Facebook on my phone. I don't even have emails on my phone anymore, much to other people's annoyance. And it's this, this idea of, um, you know, I want to create a sacred space around myself where I'm with myself more than I'm consuming other content, because that gives me a lot more space to really contemplate. What do I really feel? What do I think? Because I think it's really easy to get very swept up in what everyone else is thinking what everyone else is doing and we all have this intuitive 
knowing, this felt sense wisdom. But in order to access that, we, we must create space. We must create white space. We must uh, turn down the volume of everything else so that we can dial up the volume of our own inner knowing. So that's, an, that's one thing, is just to really consciously create quiet space for contemplation. And then kind of building from that as well, the building a relationship with our bodies really allows us to be sovereign in what we know. So most of us are living our lives from the neck up. We are, I mean, myself, I'm very, very cerebral. That's the reason why I've had to reconnect with my body is because I can, especially when, you know, we question everything, you know, it's so easy to just get completely lost down the rabbit hole, but our bodies know the truth and our bodies are full of wisdom. So by really cultivating our connection with our body through breath, through sacred movement, through yoga, it's, it's a way to kind of once again, cut through all the noise and just come back to, oh, this is who I am. This is what feels right for me. And it's very it's very difficult to get swept up in toxic narratives when you are and toxic ways of being when you are really, really connected to your inner essence. And as I think about those and think about applying them to like justice work, I, you know, I think that it's really important to create space where we can imagine uh, what a better world would be like, create space yeah. where we can be creating those communities, but then also to make sure that we're very much connecting to, you know, the body in the in the social sense that we're connecting to the real world that we're not just connecting only to ideas like but both of those apply just as much to to doing uh justice change work in the world uh, that we we need that space and we need to be grounded and connecting to the real things going on that's really yeah that's really key and then you know almost on the flip side of that as well you know what i what i love to do as well is i love to read books in different genres and different fields, because I think that, um, especially like in personal development, if you start like you just, if you just read personal development book after personal development book, it's all the same muchness. And so it just becomes this echo chamber. So, uh, you know, over the past few years, I've read so many books about the economy and ecology and just really broadening our perspective as well. You know, not, not in a way that, yeah like it has to be that balance of like taking time out to just really be with ourselves and create space and not have any information but also just listening to different perspectives as well that's what creates um more nuanced thinking and more um for me that's definitely helped me kind of step out of the the personal development bubble as it were and see that that actually this this work, this personal development work that we do is important for us as individuals, but it also can have a huge social and environmental impact if we allow it to. So as maybe kind of a culmination of all this discussion, I'm kind of curious, what does a new and better world look like for you? What does the world improving? Obviously we've named like moving toward, towards a more collective uh, attitude. What what does a new and better world look like for you? Oh, I love this question. When I when I saw that you'd emailed this question to me, I smiled because this is key. Is the key is um is 
really giving ourselves permission to imagine this. For me, when I think of a, a better world, I think of a, a fairer world where there is far more, where there is equity, where there is equality, where diversity is celebrated. I think of a world where we prioritize soil over oil. I think of a world where we let go of destructive agricultural practices and return to permaculture. I think of a world where we decentralize power and we have, you know, localized power. I, I dream of this world where my healthy, divine, masculine ways of being in the world and energies are met with divine feminine ways of being in the world and energies and that there is this balance, there is this equilibrium. And I dream of a world where every single person really feels connected to themselves, to their community and to the planet. So they realize that we all realize that we are not separate from our planet. We are an expression of her. We are not separate from the earth. We are of earth. And that's, yeah, that's the world that I, that I dream that I dream of and that I'm striving towards every single day with every single decision. I feel like that feels like a beautiful place to, to wrap things up, but to also encourage folks to do that dreaming themselves. Uh, that, like as you named, that this is important work for us all to be doing, to dream of what this better world uh, can look like. So Sarah, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you, thank you so much. And thank you as always to all of our listeners. Mm -hmm.